I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Why are we here? Why are we here? That is a worthy question for any gathering, but in particular for a group of people who have come to a church on a Thursday night. Now, if you look around the sanctuary, you will no doubt notice there are less people here this evening than we had on Sunday for Palm Sunday. God willing, this is less people than we will have on Easter Sunday. And that's okay. There weren't a lot of people at the first Monday, Thursday either. In fact, there were only 13. There were only 13, and yet we are here. Why? Now, the Synoptic Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they treat us to the scene of Jesus' final evening with his friends as they sit around a table and they share bread and wine. It's the, the Lord's Supper. This is my body, I'm giving it for you. This is my blood shed for you and for the sins of the world. But John, John takes the whole scene a little bit further. John's got all the good details. John says that Jesus knows that his hour is coming, and having loved his own, he loves them to the end. Now remember that. It's important. It's going to be on the test. <laughs> he loves them to the end. And Jesus gets up from the table, the same table that Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about, and it's in the middle of supper. He takes off his robe, he ties a towel around his waist, he pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And when he arrives at Peter, the proto-disciple, he protests, much like he did in the boat in the beginning, Lord, I'm not worthy. And Jesus replies, no, duh. That's the translation from the Greek, by the way. And then it becomes this teachable moment as Jesus takes this, this time around the table and he makes it into a proclamation of the gospel. He talks about a new commandment that they love one another just as he has loved them. It's a new commandment. Now, for what it's worth... That's why we call tonight Monday Thursday. It's not Monday Thursday. It's Monday Thursday. In Latin, new commandment is mandatum novum. And Old English or the Middle English version of, of mandatum is Monday. So the reason we're here, the answer to that question is we're here because we're mandated by God to do this. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like being mandated to do much of anything. All of the shoulds and the oughts and the musts, they don't muster up to a very lively faith. But there is something, I think, to the required nature of this commandment, the required nature to love. Because we tend to focus so much on the requirement for us to love one another, that I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God requires God's self to love us. Remember on the test, Jesus loves all the disciples to the end including Judas, including Judas. Now, John's gospel, Judas gets all the good lines in John's gospel. He gets so much attention. And sometimes I think it makes me a little uncomfortable how much attention Judas gets because Judas isn't a name anymore. Judas is a description. It's how we label people. He's acted like a Judas, we say. He's no longer just a name. He's an occupation almost. And yet, if we read John's Gospel, and chapter 13 in particular, Judas receives more attention in this scene than anyone else except for Jesus. 
Before John describes what happens and why, we read that the devil had already put it in Judas's heart to betray his Lord. When I read that, I can't help but wonder what must have been going through Judas's mind when Jesus took his feet in his hands and washed them. I can't help but wonder what was going through Judas's mind when the Lord took bread and cup and said to Judas, this is my body, I'm giving it for you. And yet when we read the lectionary portion for the evening, what I read, there's a big chunk that we skip over. We go from, Amen, I tell you, servants are not greater than their masters, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you will be blessed. We jump from that line to this one. When he had gone out, well, the he is Judas. And why has he gone out? Because Jesus has just said to him in front of all the other disciples that he is going to betray him. He labels Judas as who he is and what he's about to do. And he sends him, go ahead, go ahead, Judas. And Judas, right after he got the bread, it says he left. He walked right out. Now, what should we make of this? What should we make of Judas and his behavior? G.K. Chesterton, the, the famous Catholic theologian, famously or infamously, dared to call Judas the very first Christian. He said Judas Iscariot was one of the very earliest of all possible Christians. And the whole point of him is that his hand was in the same dish. The traitor is always a friend or he could never be a foe. Judas is the first Christian. Judas has his feet washed. He is given bread and cup by the Lord. He is given forgiveness even before his betrayal. Jesus knowing full and well what he's about to do. Judas is the first Christian because he is the first one to receive God's Mercy. Even still, I think tonight would be a little bit easier if Jesus had given the bread and cup and had washed the feet of the 11 disciples and had not done that for Judas. I think it would perhaps sit a little better with us if Jesus had drawn the line and said, well, that guy, he's bad. Don't be like him. But the rest of you are good and fine just the way you are. But no. Here's our Lord caressing the feet of his betrayer, who's... Feet will shortly walk out of that room and deliver Jesus to death. Maybe it's Jesus' way of parabolically embodying another commandment. To love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So I think when we read from John's gospel tonight, it's a reminder that if we assume being Christian is somehow synonymous with do-goodery, victorious virtue, and modest morality, then everything about tonight is a rebuke. If we think that as Christians, we sit at Jesus' table with clean hands and a spotless resume, if we think that our feet are washed because of all the good things we've done, well, then we're wrong. See, John is begging us to, to see the whole scene, to take all of it in, the hands, the feet, the hope, the loss, the betrayal, all of it. It's yet another reminder that Jesus comes to seek and save sinners and only sinners. I like the way Robert for our capon put it. He said, it's important to remember that Jesus came and even the worst stinker in the world is someone for whom Christ died. The foot washing has always been a little strange for the people called church. As I already mentioned, it's not in any of the other gospels, but it also reveals the heart of God in a way that makes us uncomfortable. And not just because of Judas. God in the flesh gets down on the floor, washes the feet of those dirty disciples, one of whom, yes, will betray him, but another one will deny him, and the rest of them will abandon him before leaving him to die all alone 
on the cross. And think about this. Jesus has just told them to love one another as he loves them. And by this time tomorrow, they're all gone. Every one of them. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He calls it a new commandment. I don't know. It doesn't sound very new to me. Love one another sounds downright biblical. But it is different, I think. A different kind of love. This love that Jesus shows to the disciples, it's a love that's patient and kind. It's a love that's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It's a love that does not keep record of wrongs. It's a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Have you ever heard that before? It's a love that God has for us, a people undeserving. The foot washing is just another reminder of the lengths to which God was and is willing to go for us. And notably, this is the final act of Jesus toward his disciples before Easter. It's the last thing he does to them. And as John so poignantly notes, Jesus loved his disciples even to the end. Even Judas. So if Judas can be thought of as the earliest Christian, then that makes the scene around the table our earliest glimpse of the church. It's the table that we come to over and over and over again. That's why we say the same words and we come with our hands at church. We have to do it over and over again. Because for as easy as it is to scapegoat Judas and to think, well, at least I'm not like him, the truth in the heart of the matter is we're all like Judas. Jesus says, as you do to the least of these, you also do to me. Anytime we betray someone, anytime we avoid someone, anytime we hurt someone, we are doing it not just to them, we're doing it to Jesus. And yet, the gospel says that we're still invited to the table. That there is still a spot for us at the table. That no one is outside the realm of God's saving grace. Not even Judas. Not even you. God willing, not even me. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.